So once again, it is great to see you guys here in the sanctuary. It's great to see you guys online. And we want to be able to just continue in our series in Galatians. Uh, we are in chapter 5. And last week, uh, Pastor Philip preached the, the first part, and, and he talked about how Paul called the, the Galatians to freedom. And he called them to live out their freedom in Jesus through serving others with love. But what we see here in this passage here is that freedom is only through the power of the Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is writing to the church, and he's explaining what it means as, as we have called the, the theme of Galatians in this series called to live in faith, freedom, and love. But living in that freedom and love, however, reveals a fight or a conflict in which all of us as believers must address. Understand here that this, that Paul is writing to the church in Galatians. So he is speaking to believers. And I'm reminded when we talk about this idea of a fight, I, I'm a product, I grew up in my childhood in the 80s and the 90s, and I lo loved watching the, the heavyweight fights. I loved watching Iron Mike Tyson when he was the baddest man on the planet. When he wore the all black with the black sho uh, shoes and he come out and if you weren't paying attention, he'd knock you out in about a minute and a half into the first round. And all the other great fighters and heavyweights at that time. And, but even as we think about that, I'll, I'm reminded of the announcer of the fight. Because the announcer of the fight set the tone for the rest of the evening. And if it was a, if it was a major fight, then a guy by the name of Michael Buffer would show up. He was the ringside announcer, and he would say, let's get ready to rumble. And the crowd would go wild. It was hype, and what you knew was a fight was fitting to happen. A fight was on. But the difference between a, a boxing match that Michael Buffer would say, let's get ready to rumble, and the life of a Christian is that in a boxing match, you had a set time, and it was over the same day. But for the Christian, for the believer, the follower of Jesus, we have to be ready to rumble every day from the time we wake up until we go to sleep, and then we repeat. It's wake up, rumble, go to sleep, repeat. Wake up, rumble, go to sleep, repeat. Wake up, rumble, go to sleep, repeat. And so as we look at the text, we'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, and then what we'll do is we'll break it down piece by piece. So starting with verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, sexual impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. But now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So as we look at the heart of this text, it leads to my one and only major point. My one and only point is that we have to live in complete reliance on the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Let me say that again. We have to live in complete reliance on the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. See, we have to understand something. This passage was not for those who were just the super spiritual ones or the infants, the, the babes in the faith. Whether you're one day in the faith or 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in the faith, this passage applies to all of us. And what we see in this text are going to be four major things. Four things that we're going to see in the text that shows and proves that if we want to live a life that honors God, if we want to live a life that, that, is, that is a life that points to Jesus, we have to have complete reliance on the Holy Spirit. And here are the four things. We have to understand and recognize the charge to the believer. We have to understand the conflict within the believer. We have to see a contrast of the combatants, a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And finally, we have to see the commitment of the believer. So starting with the charge or, or a command that Paul says in verse 16, I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. So what is he saying here to, to walk, to walk by the spirit? Well, another way of saying it is to live, to live by the Spirit. And what that means is, is to walk by the Spirit, it is, the, it is a, both an active and continuous thing, that, that we are doing something and we are constantly doing it. What does that mean? Well, here's what we are continually doing. This is what we must be active in doing. This is what we must continually do. First, we have to discover God's perspective. How do we do that? By understanding his word, reading his word, spending time in his word. We want to know the will of God. We have to be in the word of God. Second, we have to actively and continually decide to honor God by how we live. Thirdly, we have to actively and continuously depend on the Holy Spirit to live in holiness and obedience. See, we have to understand that this is not a one-time event. It is an everyday event. It is an every hour event. It is an every minute event. It is an every second event. In other words, it is a way of life. To live by the Spirit means to live in faith, by faith, in the work of Jesus Christ. So we see what it means to walk in the Spirit, by the Spirit. But Paul also uses this term here called the flesh. And what does it mean? Well, at the most basic fundamental level, it means to live independently of God, seeking to please self above pleasing God. So right now, we either live with our dependence on Christ or we live in dependence of ourselves. But I want us to notice something as we're looking at this text and in this section. And Paul says to walk by the Spirit. 
Why? So we will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now get this. He did not say that we would not have desires or temptation. See, a lot of times when we come to Christ and we, 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 have, we find new life in Christ and we think that all of a sudden all the desires that aren't of God, all the temptations that aren't of God are gone. And the reality is, is they still remain. Now, some might be dealt with automatically. Some come out rapidly, but others take a little bit longer to want to leave. They don't want to just leave as easy. They're squatting within our, the, the houses of our hearts. I recognize that even within my own life, that when I gave my life to Christ as in college, you know, I, I was a very recreational person. And when I gave my life to Christ as a freshman in college, one of the things that God just automatically dealt with was my, my, my desire for alcohol. And when I mean my desire for alcohol, I mean I'm a person of excess. Like, I'm like, I have an addictive personality. If I like something, I'm all in. But that thing in particular, it's like the moment I came to Christ, the, the desire, the love, the taste, because I didn't just drink just the social drink. I didn't do things in moderation. Moderation was, a, was just an impediment. It just got in the way of what I wanted to do. I wanted to get toe up. And so what ended up happening was, is that because I knew that I would not do things in moderation, God, God removed the desire for alcohol in my life. But then there were other issues, other sins, other passions, other desires that still fighting, that will not go without a fight. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying to walk in the Spirit means that we won't yield to desires of the flesh. Just because the temptation didn't go away does not mean that we have to succumb or give in to that temptation or to that desire. But notice also what Paul is saying here is a positive command. In other words, that Paul isn't focusing on what not to do, but he's focusing on what to do. Walk by the Spirit. Focus on the Holy Spirit, and what will happen is, is dealing with the flesh will take care of itself. I had a guy disciple me when I was in college, and he used to say all the time, if you spend your time doing what you're supposed to do, then you won't have time to do what you're not supposed to do. In other words, if you're heeding and doing the positive command, you won't have time to do the negative command. If, if you're too busy doing by walking in the Spirit, you don't have time to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So what we see here is a charge, a command to walk in the Spirit. But we have to understand why it is so important. It's important because we don't have to carry out the desires of the flesh. And in order to understand this dynamic of the spirit and the flesh, we have to understand the nature of the conflict. And so going to verses 17 and 18, it reads, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I want us to understand something, family, that every single one of us, if we are a follower of Jesus, we are in this fight. We, are, we have a civil war within us, and it is intense. We didn't ask for it. We didn't seek it. We didn't go after it. It came to us, and it is intense. It is a war within. It is a civil war. 
But understand something, that when we come to Christ, here's the reason why, understand this part of the, of the nature of this conflict. When we come to Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that term, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself? So when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, in our lives, in the, in the life of the believer, and when he enters in, the fight is on. Because what happens is, is the Holy Spirit is coming in, and he is ready to do a total makeover. The third person of the Trinity is indwelling inside the believer, and he is doing a renovative work, a deconstructive work in our lives. But what happens is, is that the flesh does not surrender without a fight. So here's what we have to understand is that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to live a life that pleases God. We will not do it on our own. Our best efforts don't do it. We come up short. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to live a life that pleases Him. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we need the power of God to live a life that honors God. And the beautiful thing is that this is the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is to equip us and empower us to live a life of victory in Jesus. But here's the reality, and I've already said it earlier, but I want us to reiterate this, is that when we come to Jesus, some of us think that our temptations just go away, that those desires that we know are sinful will just go away. And for some of us, like we said earlier, they go away and we don't struggle with them anymore. Praise the Lord. But then there are those that will not go without a fight. Those are the ones that we are we're continuing to wage war, to make war against. And this war is ongoing. And here's the reality that we will fight this flesh until Jesus comes back or we go to him, whatever comes first. But this fight is on, it is intense, and, and, and it's every single day. But here's the thing that we also got to recognize is that many a times we think the problem is really out there in the world. Like sometimes, we'll, we, like for, for, for someone who struggles with lust, we're trying to tell someone else about what to wear and what not to wear, when the reality is the problem is in here. It's in our flesh. It is in a me. There is an enemy in a me. And to quote the great philosopher, 21st century, 20th century philosopher Ice Cube, we have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Never underestimate the power of sin and temptation and never under overestimate our ability to deal with it in our own strength. Let me say that again. Never underestimate the power of sin and temptation and never overestimate our ability to deal with it in our own strength. A lot of times we will say, I can handle it. The temptation is not that bad. But one thing I learned and I share it with a lot of the people that I've discipled over the years is that people who don't want to fall don't walk in slippery places. And the problem is, is that sin and temptation got slippery and wet all over the place. But those of us who underestimate the power of sin and temptation and those who overestimate their ability to deal with it in their own strength will still walk in thinking nothing will happen. Now, I'll give you a perfect example is that, so one day I was at the gym and I had my flip-flops at the gym 
and, and they're already worn down. And so it was raining outside. It's kind of like a little ramp that you're walking down in. And I'm walking. I'm like, I'm sure-footed. I'm an athlete. I'm agile. I got good feet. I can move. And I'm trying to be careful. But because I overestimated my ability and, and, and I underestimated the slipperiness of that, of, that, of that ramp, you can already know what happened. I walked and I slipped. I flew in the air. I hit the ground and I hit it hard. We do that with sin all the time. We do that with temptation all the time. And we end up taking L's all the time. But here's the other thing. Sometimes we think, okay, if this is the case, if the problem is outside and I want to remove temptation and, and remove an, an enemy, and, and there are some things that, that is very wise to cut off from being in your life. If you struggle with pornography, you need to have an internet filter. You need to watch what you're watching on TV. That's a very practical thing we could take. But here's the reality is that we can seclude ourselves. We can hide from society, but we can't hide from the desire of the flesh. In other words, we cannot escape this fight. I was reading a, 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 a devotional book from uh, a fourth century theologian and church father named Ephraim the Syrian. And inside this reflection, he said, uh, he said, I am not what I appear to be. Heal me. That was the title of it. Get, check out what he says here about, about desire. Thou knowest, O Lord, my passions hidden in darkness. The sores of my soul are known to thee. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. If thou wilt not build the house of my soul, I labor in vain trying to build it myself. It is true that sometimes I prepare myself to do battle with the passions when they war against me, but the evil wiles of the serpent paralyze the efforts of my soul with sensuality, and I yield to them. Though no one visibly ties my hands, the invisible passions drag me away like a captive. But then he ends up saying it, saying here, no one is strong enough to heal the passionate temperament of my soul except thou, O Lord, who knowest the depths of my soul. Condescend and save me by thy kindness. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit. Pastor Philip alluded to it last week, and, and I'll bring it up again because it's a great reminder that if you were to take your thoughts— and put it on screen, what would it reveal? Most of us would have no friends. We'd have no relationships. Because truth be told, it is vile. It is nasty. It is dirty. And guess what? We cannot clean it up on our own. We need the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus to indwell in us through the Holy Spirit and transform us by his loving kindness. I think about my own mind, and I know I need him every single day. The reality is that when passions and desires of our hearts drive us to sin, that we're at war with ourselves, that, that this war is, is, is just so intense. But why? Why is it so intense? Well, it's because they have opposite agendas. See, the Spirit's agenda is to conform us to the image of Christ. Christ. 
But the flesh's agenda is to place the self at the throne that belongs to Christ. In other words, this is a civil war over the affections of our hearts, over our deepest loves and allegiances. In other words, it is control of the throne of our hearts and lives. Now, recognize this. I'm, I'm talking again to believers because Paul was writing to the church. But also recognize that if you're at the sound of my voice and you're not in Christ, you're not a believer of Christ, you don't really have this battle because we already embrace our state of sin. When I, before I was in Christ, I just did what I did. And I liked it. So I did it again and again and again. But when Christ comes in our lives, the fight is on. So I shared earlier that I gave my life to Christ as a freshman in college. When I got to college, all I wanted to do was really two things. Going to school was kind of like a non-negotiable, like that was going to happen. But I wanted to chase girls, play football, chase girls, play football, chase girls, and play football. In my freshman year, I was about that life. But in the second semester, and we were on quarter, so the, the second quarter, I had an encounter with Jesus on Highway 280 in Phoenix City, Alabama. I was leaving Fort Benning, Georgia, driving back to Auburn. It was on a Saturday night. The night before Friday night, I was at the club, partying with my friends, got into a fight with some guys, partied some more. That's what we did. But the next day, I'm driving back, and it's kind of funny because I'm listening to, as I'm playing with my radio, listening to Bone, bone Thugs and Harmony, Bone, 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 now telling me what you're going to do when there ain't nowhere to hide when judgment comes for you. Like, this was literally on, the, on, my, t on my tape. Okay, I'm dating myself because it's on tape. <laughs> yeah, it was in the 90s, so, you know. He had no CD player at the time. But I'm listening, all of a sudden, boom, run a red light, sideswipe a lady. And on the side of the road there, I had an encounter with, the, with Jesus. And at that point in time, I knew my heart was already changed. Because later on that night, because I'm, I'm a knucklehead, I'm by 18, going on 19, still knucklehead, so I still went out with the guys that night. But typically, when a party was going on, I was in the middle of the floor, I wasn't the guy that when you went to the club, sat on the back wall, posted. Everybody knew, as I would like to joke around my alter ego, Frosty was here. But standing there on that wall, I could feel this, this, this tension in my spirit that said, I did not belong here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit at that time on Highway 280 had entered into my life, transformed me, and now he was shaping my desires to honor him. I was in a relationship that I had to break off because I knew it didn't honor God. I, God was changing my loves and my desires. And here's what I learned in all of that. I learned that victory over sin, victory over temptation, did not come from my human effort or my performance. And this is what Paul was getting at in the larger picture of Galatians, the larger context that being right with God doesn't come from living under the law. It comes from faith in Christ. And the Spirit works within our lives by faith, through faith. So to be right with God is through faith in Jesus alone. And to walk and live God's way, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And He empowers us to live a life that pleases Him. 
In other words, when the Spirit frees us from the law, He gives us freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. So we just saw the, 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 the charge or the command to the believer to walk in the Spirit. We just heard about the conflict, this intense conflict between the spirit and the flesh, fighting over the affections and the passions of our heart, our loyalties, our deepest loyalties. But now we have to contrast the combatants. So let's talk about the flesh first. So going from verse 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, first, we need to understand that this list is by no means exhaustive. And I know that some of you might be listening to the sound of my voice or seeing me here inside the church or, or online, and you're saying, guilty, 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 guilty. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got two of them, got a whole closet full of them. Guilty, guilty. And I want to encourage you later on. But before we get to the good news, we need to dig into this bad news just a little bit more. See, one commentary that I read as, as I was preparing this, past, this message was that it kind of categorized these works of the flesh in four categories, and I found it to be helpful, that they are in sex, worship, relationships, and indulgences. So let's talk about sex first. And when you talk about sex, we're talking about sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. Now, some of you might be asking, as I've even asked before in my own life, what's the big deal about it? It's my body. But here's what I've learned, and here's what the text says throughout, throughout Scripture. One, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Two, it impacts more than just our own bodies, but it impacts others as well. Three, it can dishonor fellow image bearers. Four, it is an obvious way to display self-centeredness. Five, it violates God's pure plan for marriage and sexuality. God created sex, and it is good. But human lust desires what God made good and holy. Now, how many of us have issues in our lives due to sexual sin? Maybe sexual sin that we've done or sexual sin that was, it was forced upon us. Many of us have experienced broken hearts. Many of us have experienced broken relationships. Many of us have broken, experienced broken bodies. Many of us have experienced broken souls. And the problem with dealing with our view of sexual sin is that what, what, what Scripture calls sin, we as society call being free and exercising our rights, the rights of our bodies. Now understand, I, I, I spent a lot of time in college ministry, especially work with athletes and in discipleship, Sex is like a key topic. And oftentimes I'm asked by students, you know, well, what's wrong with having sex outside of marriage? I mean, for real, like, like you got you to gotta test to see if you're compatible, right? That's what, that's what my students would ask. That's what people would say. But I, I consider it like driving a test car. The question is, however, which one is the test driver and which one is the test vehicle? 
Who is the user and who is the one being used? Oftentimes, they recognize that they were both. But many times, they could not distinguish between the two. That we all play the fool. But when we live based on the passions and desires of our bodies, then we have made a disordering of the beauty of what God has done. And sexual morality, moral impurity, and promiscuity is anything sexually that is outside of God's intention in order. That's the first category. There's another one, worship. And he talks about idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is when we set our affections on anything other than God, when our primary affections are on anything other than God. When we place our affection for our nation over our affection for God, we have an idol. If we place an affection on our, on our ethnicity or our family greater than our relationship with God, we have an idol. If we have an affection greater of our job, greater than our affection for the Lord, we have an idol. It's not just the statue, but then there's the other part, uh, idolatry, but you also have sorcery. And what sorcery is, is really an attempt to manipulate circumstances through spiritual ends rather than trusting in God alone. So you got to understand in the first century, you know, in Roman culture, the, the idea of sorcery and witchcraft was, was very prevalent. But guess what? It's around the day too. How many of you know your sign or read the horoscope, dabbling tarot cards, Ouija boards, witchcraft? Sometimes we just call it, it's called new age. But it's really not new age. It's really old, it's old wave, old age, because it's been going on since the beginning of time. Anything that takes our affections and our reliance on anything other than God is a worship problem. Why? Because we were created as worshiping beings. We were created for worship, and we were created to worship. The question is, what or who do we worship? So you have sex and worship, but then you also have relationships. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. All of these things, we enter into relationships, and, and, and a lot of relationships are broken because of these things. Siblings hating one. Even the term sibling rivalry reveals a work of the flesh. When, when husband and wife are in competition with one another, that is a work of the flesh. When we want to climb the career ladder that we're willing to step over and on people to get to the top, that is a work of the flesh. But then you have the last category, indulgences, drunkenness, and carousing, which in essence is the lack of self-control. As I said earlier, for me, this is an area as well. Like, I'm, all these categories here, I'm guilty. I'll be the first one to, I, I'll give you the solution later. Please trust me, family. I will encourage you with the solution. But right now, we got to get to the part. I'm going to put myself on blast first. Because I said moderation was just something to get in the way, it showed a lack of self-control. But there's a warning in all this that Paul says, and, and the dealing is, is that if our lifestyle, remember talking to believers, that if our lifestyle then, we, if, if this is our lifestyle, we have rejected the gift of grace that is in Christ and his transforming work by grace through faith. It's like this, as, as David Platt said, Pastor David Platt, 
If you are living under the rule of the flesh, then you should stand in fear because you will not enter the coming kingdom. Those who come to faith in Christ by grace alone are new people. While they still wrestle with sin, the flesh will not dominate them. They have new desires and new power to live. Our good works will, do not save us, but true salvation leads to fruitfulness and faithfulness. So what does this look like? Well, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So when we walk in the Spirit, we produce fruit that looks like Jesus. And this is not a work of the law but it's a work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. In other words, it is the fruit of faith, the fruit of freedom, the fruit of love, and because it is, this, it is because of this that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. So we've looked at the charge of the believer, that we are charged to walk by the Spirit. The conflict within the believer, between the war, the civil war between the flesh and the Spirit, the contrast of the, of the combatants, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, and now we get to the final category the commitment of the believer, this commitment in verses 24 through 26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now check this out because this is where it starts to get really good now. Is that our commitment is not based on our effort. It is not based on our effort above all, but based on what Jesus did first on our behalf. It's not you do, then I show my commitment. Jesus showed his commitment first. And how do we know that? He said we belong to him. So what is our response? Our response is to crucify the flesh, to make war with the flesh, to put to death the flesh by the power of the Spirit. And when we do that, we are identifying with Christ in his death and his resurrection. We are identifying with the victory provided by the cross and the empty tomb, and in doing so, we take on a new identity as we live like we've gone from death to life. How do we know this? Because Paul already said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we crucify the flesh daily, we are reminding ourselves to whom we belong. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up my cross daily, and follow me. But also to crucify the flesh is an act of worship. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying this in Romans 12 and 1, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the kindness of God, in view of the love of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In other words, when you hear about the term being a living sacrifice, it means when you put it on the altar to give it to God, it ain't going to just stay there. It's going to try and crawl off. But as a living sacrifice, you got to get on and make it submit and put it to death. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we ought to live well by loving well. In humility, knowing that this is not a human effort, this is not about human performance, but it is a grace of God through the Holy Spirit. So to live in freedom is to live by the Spirit. 
So I'm about to land this plane now. And, and so what does this mean to us if we're a believer in Christ? I told you earlier, there's some bad news, but now the good news is coming. Here's the encouragement that's coming. If you are a believer, you need to check yourself daily. It is time to do some fruit inspecting. Is the fruit evident in my life? Now, here's, that's, now, and I know at this point now, you still might be like, man, this is messed up because I just said I'm guilty, 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 been there, done that, guilty, guilty, guilty. And typically what ends up happening is we cover, we are become covered in shame. That the weight of our sins and our activities overwhelm us. And for many of us, if we're not careful, what ends up happening is says, well, it's not even a point to live the Christian life. I might as well just give up and give over my desires to the flesh because obviously it's, that is the real me. That is a lie. See, here's the thing I want you to do. Don't live in that covering of shame. Don't live over, over what you've done. Chase after the grace and the love of God. See, I remember as a child, because I was a rebellious child, if I was wide open as an adult, you don't just become wide open as an adult. I was wide open as a kid, and my parents would rebuke me. They would discipline me. They would show me that I'm wrong. But here's the thing that they did is they always reminded me who I belong to. And because they reminded me that I am their son, whenever I sinned and messed up, they would call me to repentance, but they always had open arms. That even in the midst of discipline in my sin, my, I still knew that my mom and my dad loved me. Now, we look back at the text and we see the story of the prodigal son, and the prodigal son already disrespected the father, decided to live reckless, recognizes that, you know what, they done messed up. They say when he, when he got his mind right, he starts to walk home, and you can only imagine the conversation he's having with himself as he's walking home. He's trying to figure out how to apologize to his father. But the text says that at, when he was a long way off, in other words, when he, wasn't, when he was walking to the father, the father was looking at the son. And instead of waiting for the son to come to the porch, he left the porch and ran to him. And he embraced him. See, God could have stood in heaven, he could have sat in heaven, but he stepped down on earth and came to humanity. And because we come to, because he came to humanity, we have brand new mercies every single day. So my call to you, my encouragement to you, your, my, my, my charge to you here is to get up. If you find yourself guilty, 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 get up, confess, repent, and run to Jesus, not from him. Why? Because grace is found in Jesus. Freedom is found in Jesus. Healing is found in Jesus. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. So it is not enough to run from something. We have to run to someone, and his name is Jesus. But if you're an unbeliever, you have to recognize that you're already living in the flesh because you are on the throne of your heart. So your next step right now is to have a coup in your heart a change of government in your heart, a change of rulers and kingdoms in your heart to remove the kingdom of self, the kingdom of the flesh, and put the Lord Jesus Christ there in the throne of your heart.